In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. It is the pre-game Paul Brown Stadium, Browns versus the Bengals. And I'm here with Ian Wright on a new mic. Ian, how are you sounding? It is the most glorious thing you could ever hear. The soothing tones of Ian Wright, right, 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 are now coming through on the Blue Yeti. Guys, anyone who is a regular listener, can you honestly tell the difference with Ian's mic Yes or no, let us know. Send us a DM. I'm interested to know. I think he sounds a bit more deeper, a bit more sexier, and a bit more throatier. Definitely. I'm also here with Jack Duffin. Jack, how are you, buddy? I'm good. Uh, Looking forward to the game. Um, Honestly, I've got no idea what's going to happen. And uh, they're the most exciting ones. It's weird for us in the UK because our game's kicking off an hour earlier. Um, because you guys are moving the clocks and we're a week later. So this is the one week of the season when all the six o'clock games kick off at five. So, uh, yeah, let's go. All right, guys, I'm going to give yourselves both 15 seconds to tell us about your club winning today. Ohio State, Ian? Ohio State absolutely destroyed Nebraska. What's ironic is Nebraska was one of the few schools that was fighting the good fight to get Big Ten football back. Their coach, Scott Frost, I think he's, uh, he's coming up. Christian McCaffrey's brothers with, at Nebraska, but Ohio State's just a dominant team. 52-17, Buckeyes win. And there's a player there that's going to be number two on the draft fields, if I'm right. So the Buckeyes have three surefire first-rounders. Justin Fields, the quarterback, now, there is a little bit of talk in Columbus that if, you know, it's lining up like the Jets or something like that. Fee- Ryan Day, the coach of Ohio State, used to be the quarterback's coach for the 49ers. So he has NFL experience. So Justin Fields staying in Columbus another year could bring him back as the number one quarterback next year because Trevor Lawrence is obviously going to be the first round pick this year or first pick this year. So Fields could use another year. He would go in the first round, top 10, no matter what, just because of his skill set. But they also have a guard, Wyatt Davis, who's probably the top interior lineman um, in the draft. And then they also have a cornerback, Sean Wade, who will likely be a top 10 or a 12 pick. So those three guys are the top players from Ohio State for the upcoming NFL draft. Excellent. And Jack, how did your non-league team do today, mate? Uh, We lost 3-1. And uh, I made a handsome profit because I bet against them nearly every week because we're that bad. If they need a sweeper, I'm available. Excellent. But look, guys, we're a Cleveland Brown podcast. It's a big game tomorrow. I'm going to start off with the show with my prediction, score prediction. I'm going to go with Browns to win 28-14. It's a ballsy score, but I'm going for it. Jack? I have gen- I've genuinely got no idea. A few of my mates have asked me if I'm betting on this game. This is just a stay away. 
Um, anything could happen. If we look at the past, Baker does really, really well against average to poor teams. And then he struggles against great teams. Um, if we look at his numbers, he's, he's, he happily goes out and beats this style of team. So I think it will be a win. I just don't know what style of win it is. And that's why uh, minus three on the spread, it's dangerous betting. Um, but let's give it a go. I, I reckon we'll hit 30 again. Um, I feel good about that. Let's say 30 for the Browns, 23 for the Bengals. And a very, very astute score prediction there, Jack. I also, I think the Browns, it's one of those ones. I actually took the, uh, took the L the first time the Browns played the Bengals. Remember, right, I was in Cleveland Browns Stadium for that one. I had the Browns minus five and a half and a touchdown that I still have not seen a very good angle to see if it was good in the most garbage time of our, all garbage times got me on the back door. So I think the Browns, based on the law of averages, are going to come out, cover the spread. I do think it's going to stay close. This is going to be one of those games where the Browns are ahead, just like in week two, you're never really fearful they're going to give it up. The Bengals may make it interesting because Joe Burrow is a good quarterback. I see this one coming in. Browns 30, Bengals 16. Ooh. And uh, looking at the injuries, guys, Hooper's out. Um, Hickson, what's he called? Dix, Hickson's out? Mixon. Mixon, that's him. He's out. Obviously, Chubb, no Whiteller. Anyone else that really critically not in? Delpit? Yeah, well, Delpit, we know. The, the big one for the Bengals, they lost their stud defensive tackle, DJ Reader, who was their number one free agent offseason acquisition. He's a very stout against the run guy. And then, importantly for them, their number one cornerback, William Jackson the third, he is also out. So they will be putting a lot of stress on Darius Phillips, who generally tends to be their slot guy, and Mackenzie Alexander, who the Vikings know uh, pretty well as well. So, yeah, the, the, the Bengals are in trouble losing their number one run stuffer, DJ Reader, and their number one cornerback, William Jackson III. This week, a lot of talk about Baker Mayfield. Guys, we, we discussed this last week. After seeing the Steelers game, having the week to reflect on it, Ian, are you all in on Baker at the moment, or are you still very reserved? Before I answer that, Jack, I have a question. Do you feel that the premonitions we had before that Steelers game, it was kind of odd that we had a podcast that we were like, you know, we're not sure where it's going to go. We go 15 minutes on Baker Mayfield and all what could happen. Then we watch the Steelers game, and everything we said we thought could happen happens. And then a week later, everybody in the Browns, you know, stratosphere joins the conversation having the exact discussion that we had before the Steelers game. Was it it made us feel good because we're smart, but like what why were everyone why was everyone so late to this party? Uh, it's, it's one that after Baker's rookie season, I actually tweeted out and lots of Browns fans went at me for uh, having a go at Baker. But I just said, look, we've seen three quarters of a season out of this guy. We don't know if he's any good. And it was like, oh, he's going to be the MVP. He's going to be the MVP. How could you say that? And I said, well, it, it's a small sample. We have got no idea what this guy is. And you need three years to do that. And uh, it's not been good. And that's, that's the really scary part. And um, it's a testament to Stefanski because 
the fact that he's right up there and you've got like the 31st best QB out of 36 in the NFL at the moment. And that's where we're at. And I think Baker's going to probably end up as a QB that he'll beat all the bad teams and he will struggle against the best teams. And that's great if you want to make the playoffs. If you want to win a Super Bowl, it's not what you want. Um, you can afford it on a rookie contract. You can't afford it on a vet contract. And it, that is going to be the toughest decision any franchise ever has to make. And that's a real test to the front office because it's so easy to go, hey, we've got a winning record. We're making the playoffs. Extend Baker because, hey, if I'm making the playoffs, I'm going to keep my job as a GM. To go, actually, let's take a risk and do something crazy because you, you want to be an annual Super Bowl competing, competing team is what any sensible GM should do. Mm. But unfortunately, some GMs, their job's more important than winning a Super Bowl. Um, and naturally, you'd say, hey, it's the same thing. Every GM wants to win a Super Bowl. No, lots of GMs are content in just fielding a really good team each year and feeling confident in it. So Baker's got until the end of the year. There's no point benching him for Case Keenum because Case Keenum is never going to be the answer. Um, yeah, the benching the thing answer. is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Whoever's yeah. saying that, just stop. Like, you're an idiot. You, you've got three things. You've got Baker, you've got address it in the draft, and you've got one wild card out there. I know, I know Ian's not a fan, but Dak Prescott. I can't see the Cowboys allowing him to walk, but he's the only top 10 quarterback that is going to be in free agent this year, potentially. Um, I, I just can't see it happening. Um, but that's your only other option out there. None of the others. Uh, don't go get an Andy Dalton and think, hey, God. that's going to be the answer. Um, Tom Brady is the first quarterback who's elite in the last 20 years to hit free agency since Drew Brees. Um, It doesn't happen. And he's um, 43. Yeah. Good quarterbacks don't become free agents. The thing with Baker, and I think that what really frustrates Browns fans the most, good Baker is good. Bad Baker is bad. I mean, it sounds like a really common thing and, you know, very instinctive to say, but the first half against the Colts, you're like, how do I get that guy all the time? And then you just realize that's, that's Baker. Like Baker's going to give you the ups. He's going to give you the downs. Yes. He was dominant Oklahoma, but there's times where he's, he struggles and he has the arm to make the throws. I think he's limited in terms of his abilities as a passer, not necessarily because of his height, because obviously we've seen guys like Drew Brees and Russell Wilson do it, but his inability to dominate the middle of the field is becoming a concern. You know, when they started pointing out his stats outside of the numbers versus inside of the numbers, it makes you wonder why a guy who has the moxie and the confidence that Baker does, doesn't utilize the middle of the field. And I'm going to bring this full circle against the Bengals now. The Bengals have probably the worst linebacking group in all of the NFL. They can't cover and they can't tackle. Okay. So they can't cover tight ends. Yes. I know Austin Hooper's out, which is very sad. Um, We love Hooper, but you have David Njoku and Harrison Bryant. We got to see something out of these guys because Josh Bynes, Jermaine Pratt, Akeem Davis, Gaither, Logan, uh, Logan Wilson, who Browns fans loved in the draft. These guys all suck. Like they're, these aren't top tier linebackers. They're rookies. They're young. We need to exploit. If there is a team in the NFL that is more susceptible over the middle than the Bengals, I don't know who they are because the Bengals have one competent player in the center of the field. And that is Jesse Bates. Jesse Bates is the only guy you need to know where he's at. 
He plays free safety for him. He's really good. Von Bell ain't that good. He ain't very good. He's very good at tackling people that are 12, 15 yards down the field, but the linebackers can't cover, and the middle of the field is wide open. So Baker's one job is to watch what Jesse Bates does, and let's see him build some confidence because we saw that pass to Hooper against Indianapolis that was really good, but then we started seeing these interceptions where a basic robber coverage, which I feel high, or high school and college quarterbacks could have seen Minka Fitzpatrick. How did he not see? I went back and watched that play 10 times. I have no idea what Baker saw. Yeah, I actually went quiet on the group chat uh, for about five minutes after the Baker interception. And that's because I was piling on money on the Steelers spread because it was over. The fact that we're on our first drive of the game and I can look at that game and go, that's 100%. This game is over. Is a damning indictment of the team. And I felt confident. I was happy to just throw money at it because it was a done deal. That is not good. You can't be in a position where you feel that about what's going on. But there's three things I want to see on offense from the Browns. Let's start sorting out the middle of the field. I want to see a mesh concept, mesh concept, and more mesh concepts. Because get them guys, get the Njoku, get the Harrison Bryant just running around the middle of the field. Baker can easily throw it. And people say, hey, you short. Football outsiders have already shown the data. There is no single data point that shows a short quarterback leads to more batted down passes. Just get real, the ball real out. Real quick, hold on. Before we go going. any further, Paul, do you know what we mean when we say mesh concept? Yeah, it's like you put this mesh vest on before the game <laughs> and then you... Um... Drink the All right, off. so it's very simple. Just because I know a lot of people internationally and stuff that listen to the show might not know what that is. So a mesh concept is very simple. Watch the NFL. If you see a receiver from the right and a receiver from the left cross in the middle of the field, that's a mesh concept. So basically what you're talking about is bringing two receivers through a similar zone on a timing pattern. So the mesh concept is simply two guys. And what it does is it creates natural picks. Bilicek uses them all the time. So that's in essence what you're talking about. If you're talking about zone coverage, you then have to worry about the communication between the linebackers because as they cross – if one guy gets out of zone, then you have a big gaping hole up the middle. And if it's man, they have a chance of running into each other. So you'll see the Browns use a lot of motion to determine man versus zone. And then a mesh concept would then be them flooding the same zone, which, by the way, everybody does to Andrew Sandejo. But you'll have two receivers that cross each other. And then from there, it's a communication or a numbers game. Yeah, oh, I love a mesh. I love a mesh. You roughly want to be close enough that you can high five. That, that's roughly where you want to be because – that's bringing everyone close together. It causes problems. If you play Madden, you will love mesh concepts. You'll be playing loads of different stuff. They might not call it a mesh on there. I know there's a couple of players called mesh, but you will be running loads of that. Just stuff across the field. Cause carnage and give Baker just that 8 to 10 yards, 15 yards deep. You get it, and you can get some serious yak off those because, as Ian said, one little mistake from a couple of linebackers crossing over, and you've gone for 30 yards. And it's a pretty simple throw because... You're just seeing it all in front of you. Pretty much just find out where Jesse Bates is and throw it the other side of the field to the you, Mexican. You said a key word, and I'm curious. You said you see it. JC Treader, 6'2. Joel Batonio, 6'4. Wyatt Teller, 6'5. I believe they're all these are all big guys. Do you think part of Baker's issues in the middle of the field is vision? I don't think it is, just because the fact that football outside is the data says your chances of batting down passes just aren't there. Um, I, I, I don't think it's as much of an issue as it's made out to be. Um, uh, it could be. Um, Baker's obviously never going to come out and say that. 
but uh, I, I just don't, I don't think it's as much of a problem as people like to make. I wonder, and I looked at that Minka play and I looked at the Minka play and I'm just like, you had Hooper running the route into the flat. You had Odell in the levels concept um, behind Harrison Bryant. And I'm just like, what, how do you not see like Minka Fitzpatrick is the Jesse Bates. He's the only guy in the field. You need to know where he's at. And he missed it. And then there was another play, which I think resulted in a sack. And I know, I think Jake Burns from OBR pointed it out or somebody else had pointed it out where Jarvis Landry was running across or across the middle and Baker was fiddle, fiddle messing around in the pocket. If you look at what Baker would have seen between Jarvis's back and Baker was a linebacker. Now, obviously a millisecond later, Jarvis is going to be wide open. So Baker struggled to anticipate where Landry was going to be. And I think it's actually one of the things that Burrow does really well is throwing to that spot in the middle of the field. So you use your eyes to move the safety. And then once your receiver is about to break open, not wait till he breaks open. Baker's biggest thing over the middle of the field, he waits to see the numbers. He waits too long. He hesitates. And if you hesitate going over the middle, it's going back the other way. And my thing is, is that vision, the height now becomes a question. What does he see? Who knows? What do you see, Paul? Look, Paul, you got any big plans for the game tomorrow? Is it on Sky again? Are you guys screwed again? No, it's on uh, Game Pass tomorrow. But yeah, I, I think we move move away from Baker Mayfield. But yeah, like we've seen him against Joe this season. You know, he really stepped up last game. And hopefully, if he's not injured, he can step up this game and show us all about what he's all about and put us all at rest. But I, I agree with what you're saying. You know, he is a quarterback that can win uh, well against sh- rubbish teams, but will struggle always against playoff teams. So uh, that's probably why we needed a quarterback if we want to win the Super Bowl. Do you think Stefanski can help him get over that bridge, though? Because realistically, he did it with Kirk Cousins. I mean, he got Kirk Cousins to an NFC Championship game. And let's be honest, Kirk Cousins and Baker Mayfield – they're close in terms of their skill levels. So if you have faith that the coaching staff can get the most out of Baker, you realistically could have a Joe Flacco Super Bowl year where the guy goes 18 touchdowns, one interception. Yeah. And when I say I don't really have much confidence in Baker, I'm not saying, Hey, let's bench him, put in case Keenum. They're saying probably give him a whole nother year. Um, unless some crazy scenario drops where they love a QB and it falls into their laps next season um, in the draft, you just trade back with your first round pick next year, add a second next year, and then you've got some capital to trade up if you need be. But um, I, I feel confident giving Baker a whole other year because unless something drastic happens throughout this season, there's no harm in giving him another shot and giving him that fifth year option. We can trade that off. Someone will have him. Um, I'm not really worried about that. So um, it's one where we've got plenty of time to decide. I know that sounds weird. Um, There's no real massive decision needs to be taken. He's never getting an extension after this season. Um, And that's fine. But uh, we we can see he he might make it. Last last question, Baker Mayfield, and then I want to, we can get on to finishing up the Bengals preview. If you were the GM, Jack, what percentage of the cap is Baker Mayfield worth? 
the, the average quarterback salary right now is seventeen point eight million. So, if you're paying a quarterback, you're paying him about ten percent of the salary cap, um, ten to thirteen percent is roughly where you're at. And the issue you've got is with every other position in the NFL, you've got different tiers. Whereas with a quarterback, you've got starter, you've got bridge, and you've uh, well, you've got a tiny little veteran bit at the bottom, and you've got rookie. And that's it. You're paying a starter. And unless they're Patrick Mahomes, Watson, um, add, add Wilson in there, um, they're on big money. And then everyone else is all the same under there. Goff, Wentz, Roethlisberger, Cousins, um, the lot. So am I paying him that? No. He's, uh, I, I would happily pay him sort of... I, I don't even know if I'll pay him because I would keep going back to the um, draft every couple of years until you find that guy. Because I've always said, unless you've got an annual QB that is in the top 10 every single year, you don't have a QB that's a franchise quarterback. Lots of people will say, hey, there's 30 odd franchise quarterbacks in the NFL that's not for me. You have about eight. Eight of them are annually top 10 quarterbacks. And that's it. So aside from numbers, last question. If you, if you were the GM and you said, Baker, I'm going to give you between nine and 10.5% of the cap, which is a little bit below top tier, and it's not nearly towards Mahomes. Would you be comfortable giving him an extension after next year in that 9 to 10% range? Not unless he's a top 10 quarterback, no. Okay. I think, hand on heart, we look for another quarterback. Because you, you look at It only at took offense. us 20 years to find Baker, by the way. But you look at the offense, we have the best O-line in the NFL. We have the best running back tandem in the NFL. We have, let's say, it, just to look at the top two wide receivers, obviously there's better in there, but we've got at least top half, probably top 10 wide receiver tandem. Tight ends, I would say with that group, we're probably top 10. It's like you can't get any more on offense. We, you could probably argue we've got top 10 offensive head coach um, in there as well. Everything else is top 10 and you've got Baker. Um, and I, I honestly don't think a four to two season is sustainable with a quarterback who's ranking 31 out of 35. Um, that, I think if you, you play that every year, then you, you're not going to get that every year. So um, by all means, while he's still on his rookie deal, we can compete. Once you're paying him and you take that out of the rest of the offense, you make the O-line worse, you make the wide receiver group worse so you can pay Baker, suddenly you, you don't have an elite offense to put around Baker Mayfield. Um, the quarterback has to carry the offense once they're on a uh, veteran deal. So uh, Baker's time's limited, but when I say time's limited, he's got one and a half seasons. If he can't do that in one and a half seasons, he ain't the guy. And um, I've I rooted for him since day one, but I'm also not going to be a bumbling idiot that tells everyone John Dorsey's amazing, Hugh Jackson's the answer at head coach just because they're a Brown. Um, well, John Dorsey is amazing. Who else could have brought Wyatt Teller here? Brown's the <laughs> best player. No, but no, I get it. And right now, I'm, if they get Baker and extend it on 8%, I'm good. 10%, ugh, but I think that mid-tier is that 8 to 10%, which is, I think, where he falls. So... Good stuff. Um, specifically, Paul, this question's for you. 
Do you think the Browns passing attack or Browns rushing attack is more important to beat the Bengals? Well, that's a tough question. Um, yeah, I think um, the passing game is very important in the aspect of they've got some strong. They got a strong safety, if I'm correct. Correct, Jesse Bates. I think our running game should be should be able to beat their defense. So, I think that's why Baker Mayfield needs to be good at throwing to make sure we win this game. How was that, Ian? I think that's very good. And if I were to ask you, how many defensive starters have a PFF grade above 70, what would you guess? For the Browns or the Bengals? Bengals. Bengals defense, overall defensive grades above 70. I'm going to go with three. The correct answer is two. Jesse Bates and William Jackson III, who is not playing. So, so that's, the Browns will be going up against one player on their defense that has above a 70 grade. But, Ian, it's all right talking about these stats and numbers. We're going up in the Battle of Ohio. Anything can happen in this game. We were in the stadium this time last year. We expected the Browns win. They got the victory. It ain't going to be, uh, you know, we could have Baker. We could go easily ahead win the game, relax. That's never going to happen with the Browns. Yeah, the only difference is they had Joe Mixon. Because if you remember right, when we sat there and froze our asses off in Paul Brown Stadium, Joe Mixon was just absolutely taking the mollywop to us, which I'm not scared of Gio Bernard. Hey, we've got former Super Bowl MVP Malcolm Smith, mate. Line you know what? Honestly, he's not been playing that bad. He's been great. We talk about Key, and we joke about him only playing, what, 38 snaps in the Super Bowl and winning MVP. But, hey, if his 38 snaps, that's, that's kind of what he does. Fantastic. I, right now, that looks like a damn good signing for that linebacker room. It, he looked like a signing just to get us through until Mac Wilson came back, and he's been our best linebacker comfortably. Um, and, and that's pretty incredible. Um, so, no, I, it puts us in a really good position. So, uh, no, fair play to him. If uh, I was going to look at someone outside Miles Garrett that's impressed me most on, in the entire defense, it's him this season. Yeah. Ian, question, question for you, mate. Where do you see the Browns winning this and uh, potentially losing it? I think the Browns' recipe for success if you look at the Browns' offensive spread over the first half versus second half, they are a much more dominant team in the first half than they are in the second half. I think the Browns are going to come out throwing. I think you're going to see a lot of – you might see a little hurry up. I think Stefanski is going to do something to change the pace because you're talking about backup linemen. you got Carlos Dunlap bitching on Instagram about where he is in the rotations. The Bengals right now are a little bit of a dumpster fire and you have Zach Taylor trying to install a new culture of young people, and then you also have um, these veterans who are just not all that pleased with how things are going. So if the Browns can come out quick, get 21, 24, if they get up by halftime by, say, 10 points, the Bengals are just going to just say, you know what, this, mail it in, you're going to see backups. Then you're going to see Kareem Hunt, Dontrell Hilliard and Dearness Johnson come in and they're going to ice this game out. I don't see the Browns making the same mistakes that they made against Dallas and kind of throwing the ball a little too much in the second half, getting those quick three and outs. The Bengals offensive line isn't very good. Their only legitimate 
tackle Jonah Williams. Um, the rest of the, the offensive line is below average at best. So you're going to be pressuring them all day long. If you can force Burrow into throwing 60 times again, the recipe for success is get up quick, score fast, get Odell and them involved, and then just pound the shit out of the ball in the second half. Yeah, I think if the Browns get up 10 and then on their next possession, the Bengals don't score, it's game over. Um, and I, I think that's the point we've got to get to. Um, whenever that happens, I feel good. I feel really good that it's all, it's all great. Unless we have a horrendous turnover after that, it's pretty much game over. So it's get ahead by 10, stop them scoring on that next possession. And if they score on that next possession, fine. Just got to get 10, stop them scoring, and it's game over. So uh, I just don't think they can come back. Um, they obviously went up on the Colts, but they're not able to hold that lead. And that, that's big. Obviously, you've got the best Tash in the NFL, potentially, in Giovanni Bernard. And uh, that's basically all they've got on offense. Joe Burrows and a, a, a phenomenal mustache. A little NFL draft update. Um, the Alabama receiver Jalen Waddell has suffered a broken ankle and is out for the year. Ooh, he is a very good wide receiver out of Alabama. Of course, every wide receiver goes out of Alabama. So if we're talking about Browns and receivers in next year draft, Jalen Waddell is out for the year. one last year. So did I. I want to chase Claypool and I got mocked on Twitter. We don't need another receiver. We got Hollywood Higgins. How's that going? Hey, he's catching touchdown passes for fun. That's all he does. Like three snaps he gets a game. No, we'll be real quick on the Browns defense. The Browns defense actually hasn't really been as shit as we've been saying lately. I think they were our highest graded unit last week at a three. So the Browns defense has actually been playing relatively good in terms of what they are. And I actually like that because it means we have the right coordinator and it's kind of odd as it is to make sense. Like Greg Williams, I know he's firing. Everybody loves his testicles in the C gap comments. And he's a very good motivational speaker. The problem is his teams get 15 penalties a freaking week and their teams have no things because Jabril Peppers was playing in, you know, Geauga County, but the Browns defense doesn't really have a bunch of stud names outside of miles Garrett and Denzel Ward, but you're getting contributions from other guys. So I think the Browns defense should have a remote or a relatively easy, I said it's easy, not right a relatively path to easy success against Burrow. Having Kevin Johnson back in the slot is going to help. So I hope the Browns defense kind of get out there and flex his little muscle. And I'd like to see somebody other than Miles Garrett cause a little havoc on the defensive line. Larry Ogunjobi, you want paid? Go make a play! Yeah, the interesting thing we're seeing with Burrows is, is uh, it's not quite as bad as it was week one or two, but he's quite a low average depth of target with his throws. So we don't throw that far. So uh, it's not one where the cornerback safeties are going to get bulldozed um, every snap um, because it's not where he's looking to throw. Um, so it's just making sure that the coverage up front is solid. And um, they're not going to have to keep covered that long because that D-line is going to get pressure. When Bobby Hart's one of your best O-linemen, it's not good. They're really struggling in the interior. So um, it's just cause hell. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see lots of miles inside. If they feel happy with Vernon and Clayball on the wings, then uh, force miles inside, stick him at the three tech and just let him go off all day. Um, I know he prefers being on the edge, but he's going to have a hell of a lot. Their tackles are actually okay, especially for the Bengals. Um, stick him inside and let him feast. Him and Sheldon, um, Sheldon Richardson, Richardson, them two should be eating their um, 
lunch. So I, I would love to see the Browns get pressure with four. I think we're going to see more Ronnie Harrison. I believe he's going to be back this week from the concussion. Um, so you'd love to see the Browns pressure with four and then get some, um, get some turnovers in the secondary. I want to see Ronnie Harrison playing at full speed. Remember last time against the Bengals, he was slow on a cover two and gave up a touchdown. So I want to see him back. Um, but overall, like I said, I, I like the progress the Browns defense is making. And Mike Prefer, can we get this fucking special teams unit in order? Let's get Take this shit eight. figured out. Touchbacks and touchbacks and touchbacks. Stop with it. You're killing me, Smalls. Cody Park, you keep making your kicks, baby. So is there another injuries we should be wary of, or is it all quite looking okay? Jacob, Jacob Phillips, uh, Wyatt Teller, and Hooper are the only ones that have been ruled out. Which, not, tight ends, we got plenty. We like Teller back, but I'd rather him for more difficult teams. And Jacob Phillips is just somebody I want to see play since he got crushed as a draft pick. Overall, Browns win. I think we're all around the board in saying that. So stay tuned for our post-game podcast tomorrow. Um, Paul, Jack, and I will be out breaking it down, watching it several times. But at the end of the day, most importantly, go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.